welcome to Women on the Verge of a Financial Breakthrough, where we are figuring out finance one dumb question at a time. I'm the dummy, Caitlin Meredith. I'm a mediator and coach based in the Bay Area, and... I'm Sarah Glacus. I'm an investor, advisor, and founder of Black Barn Financial, a registered investment advisor here in Austin, Texas, and also the founder of the Austin Women's Investing Group, which can be found on Meetup. Before we get started, and I demand that Sarah tell me how to make $4 million in the current market, we wanted to just reiterate our thank you to everyone who's left us reviews on iTunes or done the star rating system, whatever, and ask anybody that hasn't, that's listening, if they could do just a two-second review, which would totally help. And as usual, text three friends, tell them about women on the verge of a financial breakthrough, I can barely say it, and help us spread the word. Okay. So as I said in our last episode, we were going to wait until the fall to do a second season and we have all these plans, but just while we're experiencing the current downtimes and (laughs) Sarah's having to field questions from every single person she knows if we're all, you know, if the economy is going to officially tank or what, we wanted to do just a little mini series to talk about right now what's happening. A lot of our episodes talk about just sort of in general, what to do as investors, how to start. And this is very specific to like here and now, summer of 2022, on the time-space continuum where everything looks real shitty economically. So in our last little mini episode, we got the context down, like the bear market. Is this a recession? Is it not? There's an argument. So listen to that one first if you want more about the context. I want to talk in general about like what the fuck we're supposed to be doing with our money right now and you know what not to do, how to not make it worse than it already is. But one of the things Sarah brought up is that there are opportunities in a bear market. There are opportunities when the market is down. So what did you mean by that, Sarah? So if you look back at a stock market chart, you'll notice something really interesting. You'll notice that it trends upward up to the right. It starts down at the bottom left-hand corner. It trends with lots of bumps and lots of ups and downs, but it trends upward to the right. The stock market and assets in general, so talking about like real estate, um, any type of kind of risky asset. Your cousin's boat. (laughs) Not a boat, not a boat. Um, but you know your stocks, real estate, those types of investments that are the bulk of people's wealth, um, they tend to increase in price over long periods of time with you know with lots of volatility, which we're experiencing right now. So if you look back at a chart, you'll notice there are some pretty major uh, dips in that chart. A major one back in 2000, 2001, when the dot-com bubble burst. Um, Another big one, 2007 to 2009, during the great financial crisis, when housing prices collapsed, and then banks almost collapsed, uh, and we had a very serious downturn. And then you'll see another dip at the beginning of 2016, at the end of 2018, during March of 2020, and then the one we're in now. Um, So if you look back at one of these charts, you know, if you zoom out and you think like, well, I'm trying to keep my money invested for longer than one year or five years or 10 years. You can start seeing that 
so far, except for where we are right now, every decline in the stock market has reversed itself. And the stock market has not only made up all of those losses, but has continued to trend higher over long periods of time. I think one of the deceptive things about what you're saying, I'm not accusing you of being a liar, but you just say like these dips. And a dip seems like, oh, you know, put your toe in this little quick experience that you barely feel like, oh, <laughs> dip or eat. And oh, yeah. actually the dip, what we're in now doesn't feel like a dip. It feels like a slow, long plunge into a, you know deep mud, quicksand or something. And so I guess you only see it's a it only looks like a dip when you're on the other side, right? During it, it feels like the cliff. That is absolutely true. And I shouldn't use the term dip for what happened in 2000 and 2007. Those were legitimate market crashes where the stock market lost 50% over you know, a matter of months or years. You know, a 10% a decline is probably a better, you know, a better use of the word dip. Um, a 20% decline, like what we're in now, you know, like we talked about on our last episode, is a bear market, right? Which is, it's pretty serious. 20% is enough to get everyone's attention. Um, and it it doesn't feel good. It feels, it's, it's painful. 20% is you know, the point at which most people are like, just make it stop. Like, yeah, whatever I have to do to make it stop. This isn't fun anymore. I don't want to do this. I want all my money back that I had six yeah. months ago. I wish I could go back in time. This sucks. Yeah. So we are officially well into that point, I would say this year. Yeah. Okay. But then I think the only catchphrase I know about the stock market even including the time that I've known you, is buy low, sell high. <laughs> so we're in the low, right? So like this is buying season? I mean, we're lower than we were six or seven months ago, right? You know, I think with buy low, sell high, I think it's absolutely what you need to remember. And the longer you have, the better. You know, the other piece that is important to remember is that just because you're buying low does not mean it can't go lower. But as prices go down and as we just put days and months behind us in trying to resolve all of these problems that we have right now, you're getting closer and closer to the end, right? You're getting closer and closer to the time when prices stop falling. And the other super, super important thing to remember is you are not going to know when it's over. There's no bell ringing. There's no all clear signal. Um, you can go an entire bull market when prices are going up, waiting to finish the bear market that ended five years ago. Let me understand right? this. Okay, so you as a uh, investor, investment advisor, don't get a call in the middle of the night being like, "We hit it. We hit the bottom." <laughs> Get, We're grab done. everything you can get right now because tomorrow the market's going back up. You don't get that call. Nobody no. gets that call. No, but people love making that call. Like people will love saying, oh, we, we bottomed in June of 2022. June 16th was the bottom. So people love but making that call. But they say that in the future. They don't say well, it on June 16th. No, they don't say it. They normally don't say it on June 16th. A couple people will go back in time that maybe they said it on Twitter and then they'll parade that out and tell you about it for the rest of their lives. Remember when I called the June 16th bottom? 
Um, but so you, everybody has an opinion as to, so right now it's July 29th. Our most recent lows were June 16th-ish. Now is the time when people are debating whether June 16th were the lows, whether we need to retest those lows, which means go back to them and touch them again, um, or whether this increase in the stock market that we've seen since June 16th, whether this is a good old-fashioned bear market rally, which is what sucks people back into the market. They think it's over, and then it destroys your hopes and dreams by falling again even more in the future. You thought you were so clever for buying when it was so low, and then whatever you put in is further decimated, and so you feel like an idiot. Exactly. For those of us who have decades until we retire, and so our retirement accounts are like, you know, a little abstract right now, it's one thing to tell us, just be like, hold on tight, you're in it for the long haul, whatever. But I can imagine someone who is on the brink of retiring or already retired being like, fuck this, I'm taking all my shit out. Yep. And then I'll put it back in when it's going back up. Like, so I want to avoid the worst of it. I that feels psychologically like such a, a calming plan, like, oh, I won't have to watch those numbers go down anymore. But now you're telling me no one can predict when the bottom is. So what if you wait in the next morning, they're up to hire, you have to buy all your stuff back for even more expensive. Am I making any sense at all? Absolutely, that is exactly the plan that people come up with during a bear market that sounds very reasonable. I'm just going to jump out. And then when it goes down more, then I'm going to buy back in. Or like you said, I'm just going to wait for it to come up the other side because it's going to look like a nice U, right? Yeah, I'll be there. I'll have, you know, a whole week to... Right. I'll just mark my calendar. I'll get back in at, you know, S&P 4100. it is so hard, if not impossible, to execute this plan. Because what we just talked about now, it's July 29th, we're trying to figure out, is this the beginning of a new bull market? Is it a bear market bounce where we will go back to 3,600 on the S&P? Or is this halfway through a crash? That's what yeah. we're trying to decide right now, right? And that is always what you're going to be trying to decide every single time. And so what happens to people who jump out with the intention of getting back in is they either never get back in. I think um, Barry Ritholtz is this really great uh, commentator on Bloomberg. I think he pointed out a stat the other day that said something like 33% of people that sell during a crash, 33% never get back in. So now you've just disintegrated 25% of your portfolio, never to earn it back. And for people who jump out and then try to jump back in, most often they buy back in at higher prices. So they just sold low and bought high. Well, the compounding interest part gets all messed up. But tell, will right. you just tell me this in a very practical way? Let's say I'm 70 and you know I, I'm thinking I'll live till 85, 90. I had $500,000, which, you know, would seems like a ton of money to me right now. But, you know, if I'm living for another 20 years without income, um, might not be enough, depending on medical needs, et cetera. So I have $500,000 in the market. It used to be, you know, uh, 
a year ago, it was 750. So I was feeling golden. And then now it's at five. And I like cannot bear to see that number go below five. For some reason, 500,000, for an obvious, an understandable reason, it feels like to see that number in my portfolio go lower is too traumatizing. So I just say, pull it sell everything, put that in my savings account. What are the possible things that actually happen to that $500,000? Like what is the range of possibilities for that amount of money? I mean, the range of possibilities are that $500,000 sits in cash at 0% for the rest of this person's life. Right. And they have now exposed themselves to longevity and inflation risk over time, right? Like uh, Because... The cat, if there's great inflation, their cash is less and, worth less and less. Like it's still $500,000, but that will buy a lot less in 10 years, right. maybe. Right. Stocks can recover. Stocks can recover and um, eventually over longer periods of time keep pace with inflation. Cash cannot. Cash can't, it doesn't adjust, right? Um, you know, maybe your savings account will go from 0% to 0.5 or 1% or yeah. 2%, right? But that's still not enough. So what you're doing is instead of having some portion of your money in something that at least has a chance to grow, you've now put all of your dollars in something that is guaranteed to not grow. So you've, you've collapsed your, your range of outcomes and you've saved yourself more downside and you've gotten rid of all of the upside. So you've just locked in where you are unless you come back to it at some point and say, ooh, like I actually can't afford to be in cash for the rest of my life. I have to get it back in. Well, now it's really challenging, right? When, like, how does that happen? When does that happen? Um, what sort of risk tolerance do you have going forward after having this experience? So that is a really, really tricky situation. But help me understand this. So if I sell off my portfolio and I have $500,000 in my savings account, and then two months later, three months later, a year later, the market's on the upswing, and I just say, okay, put it all in an index fund now. So I start, I put $500,000 in the index fund um, that it was that I owned before, and now I rebuy it. Wouldn't I just continue on my journey then as if nothing had ever happened? Except that you've probably missed the increase in prices. I'm assuming in your scenario, did you, did you say it was a few months or a few years? Let's say a year. I don't know. I don't know what a, the time period where I could feel better about it. But yeah, I think I'm trying to conceptualize this idea that the prices would be higher because I only have that amount of money. So I'm just putting the $500,000. But I think the piece I'm missing is I can buy fewer shares with that amount of money. And so when they increase in value, I don't get as much profit from that. Right. You cut into your rate of return, right? Because you've probably missed, there's something happened in the market that now convinced you that it's safe to get back in. Right. And I'm 99.9% .9 sure the thing that has happened is the stock market has gone up. Right. So you missed right. that you missed that first leg up. Okay. You you get in after prices are higher. Um, and it could be that maybe you didn't miss that much time and you go about your way and you correct some of your mistakes. Yeah. Um, but for most people, missing out on that initial rebound, it leaves a mark on your okay. retirement account.
if you can imagine like how people actually behave, you get really scared, you pull all of your money out of the market. Right. What are the things that need to happen to convince you that it's time to get back Things in? look great again. <laughs> right. And why do they seem great? Because it shot up. Right. And now you're like, hey, people are making money. Oh, wait. Right. Right. Oh, wait. Right. It's that shooting up and like this, this comes in spurts and yeah. it's unexpected and it happens really fast. Right. A 10% increase in the stock market can happen in a matter of days. Yeah. And so you're you're behind. Right. And you're like, well, OK, I'm going to put my 500,000 back in the market. What if it falls by 10%? Yeah. Right. Then what are you going to do? Are you going to keep jumping in and out? Like, right. What? Like, so taking that long term strategy and shifting into a short term strategy where you jump in and out, you're really kind of getting sucked in to a, a game you can't win. Right. You, you have so many more decisions to make yes. too, every day. Your decision tree gets really messed up because you have to make the decision when am I going to sell? When am I going to buy back in? And am I going to sell again, right? When things get bad? Because then you're on that rinse repeat cycle of buying high, selling low, which is the opposite of what you should be doing. Right. And once you do that a few times, then your confidence is going to be shot. And then it's just, it's hard to behaviorally recover from that. Yeah. And I imagine too, that like enduring watching your portfolio that was 500,000, you know, at the beginning of the month and towards, you know, two months later is down to 350,000 is just, I mean, that ignites so many fears and nightmares for us about like, literally, how will I feed myself, you know, all of those things. So the only option is to not look. If what you're saying is the long-term health is to just stay in with the faith that it'll go back in, the only option is to not look. Yeah, it's it's so hard. Like I've had so many of these conversations this year because, and I totally get why this happens, but the, the rationale is I see my accounts falling by $5,000 a week. Eventually, I'm going, it's going to go to zero. At this pace, it's going to go to zero and then I'm going to have nothing and no chance to recover. Right. I, I may as well get out now. At least I have something. Right. Right. And that's exactly and it totally makes sense. Right. When you think about it in those terms over that period of time. So like you either get caught in the trap that we just talked about of being in cash and then what's your next decision? What's your next move? Or what a lot of people are able to do is just set it aside come back let's talk about it again at the end of the summer i've had a lot of conversations at the beginning of the summer about just keeping the status quo like recognizing the fear and the panic putting a pin in it coming back at the end of the summer and let's see what's happened right let's see what's happened in your life let's see if you know do you have enough cash savings to get through it do you have um, you know, do, are you able to keep your job? Like, what do things look like at the end of summer? And then can we make a decision based on what what happens there? So taking what seems like a long chunk of time and making it a shorter period of time and giving people permission to take a break from needing to follow the market or check their balances oh, yeah. or kind of internalize all of that um, if they if they feel like they just need to step away, which is a great option, is just like, Take a vacation, go surfing, 
just turn off alerts come back in a year two years if you got it right it's so funny i thought this episode was gonna be what to do and actually what we're just saying is like do not do this (laughs) do not get out in this way because you the train will leave without you and you'll be there at the station with your ticket that isn't valid anymore no. and you have to go buy a second ticket and so it's really <laughs> but this is just crazy because our advice was the same a year ago which is just know. you know invest and you just like just close the the window that shows your your account balance and it's like even now we're supposed to do that? Like, that's crazy advice. I totally got it when it was stable and everything was looking like rosy. But now is the real test of that. And it's sort of shocking that the advice doesn't change. I know it is shocking, isn't it? You know, if we listen to this episode five years from now, and I'm saying that the S&P is just under 4,100, the expectation... It, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's if it's if it's around forty one hundred, <laughs> and five years from now we look back and the S and P's now at almost eight thousand, we're going to be oh. like, yeah, that aged well. Stayed awesome. in the market, right? And I listened, and I just closed my eye, went surfing, and I just yeah. totally. Okay, okay. I mean, so, that's the expectation, right? Is like, double it where it is now, double it. That's the goal, and it's not even just like the goal; it's the expectation. It doesn't mean that it will definitely happen. We come back five years from now and we're still at 4,100, then this advice will not have aged well, right? But what is important is that the alternative, at least when the alternative is cash, is that won't age well either. Exactly. Right. At least you have a chance. We have no choice, people. We are stuck. (laughs) Start collecting shells. Yeah. If you are, if you're if you're an investor who's out there in the world looking at all of these different opportunities and you find something where you think you can double your money in the next five to seven to 10 years in a less risky way than stocks, then you should totally do that. Right. Oh like, are you in real estate? Crypto. I know, like, like whatever it is, like, are you like an invest in your brother-in-law's bar or something, right? Like, and you're pretty sure you're going to knock it out of the park and double your investment. Um, or if it's something like a real estate project that someone is doing or crypto, if you're into that type of thing, right? Or starting a business or whatever it is, run the numbers, please run the numbers and see like, does this other idea have as good or better chance of doubling my money in the next five to seven years? If yes, then that's a viable option. But cash, no, there is no chance, 0% chance that your cash will double in the next five to seven years. I feel no like we chance. have to change all children's, like classic children's tales about the value of saving your money and having a little <laughs> savings, uh, a piggy bank, all that. Because it's really, there's like a fetish of like how safe having your big savings and your cash, all that is. And it's a lie, people, it's a lie. If you already have a bunch of money and your goal is to keep it safe, then cash is perfect, right? But most of us are creating the wealth that we're planning to live off of in the future, right? Savings doesn't, like your savings account does not create wealth, it preserves it. So if you win the lotto and, or if you have a big inheritance or you get like a windfall at work or whatever, if you have a bunch of money and you're like, you know what? I like money. 
this is good. Well, this is good for the rest of my life. Like I couldn't, you know, I could never, you know, outlive this money. Like this is the, this is a great amount. It's more than I'll ever need. I don't think those people are listening to our podcast. I know, exactly. <laughs> then, you know, this is the wrong podcast for you, right? Because you're probably like Scrooge McDuck, like swimming through your gold coins. Yes, to the yacht podcast people. Right. But the rest of us are like, we don't have enough yet. How do we get enough? You can either scrimp and save your way by yeah. not spending a lot, or you need that money to grow, right? And so that's what this podcast is for, right? Because most of us like need the money to grow bigger. Right. So we have to put it at risk. And taking those risks, the, the returns manifest by taking the risk when it feels risky, that's like the whole point, right? Like right now, it feels really risky out there. That's why you would expect a higher rate of return over time. You don't get a higher rate of return over time by playing it safe and waiting for the market to recover and go higher before you get back in. Um, so that's the trade-off that we always have. The trade-off for the person who can't sleep for a month because they're once robust portfolio went down after retirement went down to 350,000 um but the trade off they they do a vision board just kidding never done one but okay <laughs> something like that where they imagine like in 10 years it's a million dollars or something like that and not crazy numbers but that like realistically given the history of the market and average increases and recovery from bear markets that the reward for having endured that month of thinking they were going to you know lose all of their money will be earning that money growing actually going in the other direction so that they tolerated the risk and then they get a reward for you know, enduring the lowest of the low. A part of this is being real realistic about what shoring up your short-term risks look like. If you are at risk of losing your job in a recession, please make sure that you have enough set aside oh, to yeah. get through that, even if it means... So what did we talk about the other day? Even if it means um, stopping your retirement contributions if you're still working, even if it means selling and putting that some portion of that money in cash. I like to start with I don't, one to two years of living expenses. Whoa. If, if, you, if you are like at risk of losing your job and you can't foresee a way that you could pay the bills you know, over a long period of time. So like for a lot of people, like for me, this is parents, you know, but women who yeah. are staying at home with their kids, maybe yeah. they have some cash needs. They know they need an extra $1,000 per month to make ends meet while they're home with the kids. What's 1,000 times 24, $24,000, put that in the bank. Oh my God. And leave the rest um, aside, right? Where they don't have like an income lever they can realistically pull in the short term. Um, on the other side of the spectrum, Maybe you either have really good job security or you have a lot of flexibility. If I lose this job, I'll get another one. If I lose this job, I'll get a comparable job or I'll take whatever job. I'll drive an Uber or I'll pick up gigs in order to make it work. Yeah. Right. You have to be really, really focused on what a recession, layoff, no income type of emergency looks like for you. 
and then plan accordingly, right? Because it's different for everybody. This is was so shocking for me to hear you say, because it's equally shocking that one big piece of advice that you have stays exactly the same in this market and another one shifts dramatically. So the piece of advice that stays the same is don't look at your retirement accounts or your brokerage account, whatever. Don't look. Just hang in there. Assuming you have index funds and the kinds of funds we've talked about. So you're not on like really risky individual stocks. That's that's not what we're talking about here. The piece of advice that has changed 180 is stop investing. Right now, this might be a point where you stop investing if your job could be at risk in the near future. And so prioritizing the savings cash money that you have in your emergency fund rather than the long-term investment. And that that's, that's funny for me, strange to hear those words come out of your mouth, but it totally makes sense. Yeah, I mean, and it's for that scenario, which is not everybody's scenario. Um, I think one of the scenarios that people throw out is, you know, I have a job, I have an emergency fund, the market's going down, should I stop investing in the market until it goes back up, right? Which yeah. is more like, can I avoid the downturn? Right. Like, it, it, like, why would I invest if it's just- If it's just gonna go just, down, yeah. Right, if it's just like throwing money, like down the drain. That is different. That advice is, you know, if you are all short up in the short term and a recession isn't really a risk to you, please keep investing. Keep right? the because, habit. Yeah, yeah, keep the habit. You're buying low. It doesn't feel like it now, but it will eventually. You'll look back and be like, I'm really glad I did that. So like toggling those retirement contributions because of what your actual financial risks are versus toggling that based on where you think the market is going to go are two different things. Okay. Right? And, and people fall into all different kinds of camps. These are just, you know, things that come up during bear markets that don't come up during yeah. better markets. I just think it's so valuable for you to give people permission to stop investing if right now their actual dollars that are coming in really need to be there for a buffer that could be used in real time sooner rather than later. And yeah. so adjusting, you know, because obviously we're making this podcast to get people to understand how to grow their money and to get into retirement and how to be uh, financially savvy. But part of that is realizing when you're not in a in a place to invest. Yes. And even though that is super important over your lifespan, that there are going to be chapters where actually your priority is allowed to be the here and now in the near term rather than the long term. Right. I mean, and it hopefully doesn't involve like the it's not cash everything out. Right. And get perfectly safe. It's you know, what are what are small things you can do that will give you peace of mind and or shore up that short term uh, concern and give you the space to leave the rest of your investments in there. So you're not in a panic situation where the feeling is I have to sell everything and go to cash during a downturn. There's lots of gray area in there that we can play with and lots of different components that you might be surprised at how good it feels uh, 
to turn off your contributions and see your savings account grow because that gives you an extra month of living expenses. And now you can sleep at night and you can go back and turn on your account contributions a couple months down the road. Maybe there's an opportunity missed there to buy stocks cheap, but you were able to fine tune your own plan to keep it on the rails, right? I think that I'm, it, a distinction is so important. The difference here is not contributing more rather than cashing out what's already in there. Right. And saving that if I don't think you would say it's even a last ditch thing to save. I think you would say over my cold dead <laughs> body to cash out. But let's just say in this scenario where obviously people have to make in very difficult individual choices based on financial realities for their whole families. So we're not here to judge or say anybody's stupid, but that as a way of preparing for a recession or responding to the fact that you might have job insecurity or not sure that prioritizing your short-term savings at the expense of adding more to your retirement accounts is a sound, smart, financial decision to make that you can always reverse. You can always go back to the way that it was. Right. It's a low stakes, reversible tactic that can give you more security and is is like on that decision tree, much easier to start making your contributions again versus trying to figure out when to take your whole retirement account and put it back in the market because you just cashed it out. Right. right. And that cash would be so vulnerable if it was in my checking account. I'd be like, wow, <laughs> just a little bit here, a little bit there. But also, I, um, it just made me think of that people that are able to stop the investment and have a, a bulkier savings, that means they have a lot more cash. And it's funny because we're also saying like cash is a 0% increase, but we're not talking about as an investment, as a growth strategy. It's a survival strategy. It's paying the bills in real time. So even though it's more susceptible to inflation, that's over a much longer time horizon. You know that in the next two years, whatever, $24,000 is still going to equal, you know, Maso menos $24,000. Right. Whereas over 10 years, that is not true. Right. Okay. Oh my God. This is a lot to compute. I need a chocolate milkshake. I know. Yeah. Bear markets are rough. It's rough out there, people. But that's why um, it makes sense to talk to other people about what they're doing, what they're concerned about. Talk to other people who have weathered periods like this in the past because you'll get an idea of of what like what could you give up by making a decision out of fear right yeah you could really actually be giving up more financial security in the long run in order to get a sense of security in the short run so it's it's tricky out there if you can stick with it stick with it Okay, that is so useful to hear that. I mean, like any of it, it's managing our own emotions, our own reactions that are so deep rooted in our own childhood relationship to finance and security and all of that stuff. So it's not easy, but it's nice to have some guidelines. Thank you so much, Sarah. Yeah, you're welcome. 
Okay, I feel like everybody totally gets what not to do right now with your money. Next episode, episode three in this little mini season two, is going to be what actually you could do and how to take advantage of some of this downturn, recession adjacent activity. Okay, so stay tuned for our episode three. Hey, before we go, thank you so much to Kelly West, who co-produced and edited this episode. And we have many exciting things coming in season two. If you want to keep up, you can follow Sarah on Twitter at Sarah on the Verge. You can follow or like our Facebook page. Women on the Verge podcast and sign up for our newsletter on our website, womenontheverge.com. We'll let you know what's brewing. If your partner is making you ask for money, giving you an allowance, or not letting you know about family income, this could be economic abuse. Learn more at thehotline.org or call 1 800 799 SAFE. I know the first thing you notice is that I'm covered in gold. The trip at the wrist, it can turn a hot bitch cold. To get what you want in life, girl, you gotta be bold. No, I'm a direct, and I know. This podcast contains general information that is not suitable for everyone. The information contained herein should not be construed as personalized investment advice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. There is no guarantee that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast will come to pass. Investing in the stock market involves gains and losses and may not be suitable for all investors. Information presented herein is subject to change without notice and should not be considered as a solicitation to buy or sell any security.